Welcome to the Liberty Mom Show. Chris Kimball hosting today, and we are part of the Loving Liberty Network. Liberty Moms are the real secretaries of defense when it comes to their communities, their families, and their children. And today, I'm excited to introduce my guest, Gaud Maragani. Gaud is um, going to run for the Salt Lake County Clerk's position here in Utah in this next election cycle. And we're excited because our Salt Lake County clerk has served in this capacity for over 30 years, 30 years. That's like a corporate career. And that has been in public service. And granted, it's been in Salt Lake County, which is, you know, predominantly Democrat. And it should be a it should be a nonpartisan position as a county clerk because you're really just performing a function of, of public service as far as um, votes, making sure the votes are secure. And um, I don't know, I can talk to you, I can talk to Gowd more about all the functions of the county clerk. But uh, Gowd, I'm excited to bring you on. Thank you for joining me today. I want um, our listeners to learn a little bit about you because they're going to have to make a decision coming up in November about whether they want to keep who we've had for 30 years or whether they want a new fresh of eyes looking at the um, voting counting process. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me on, Chris. I appreciate it. Um, I do. Can I, if you don't mind, I'd like to build on something you just said. I, I do think that the, this race is not necessarily a partisan race and it doesn't need to be hyper-partisan. I think there are Democrats, independents, and Republicans, all of whom want a secure and transparent election system. And that's why I'm running. I think we can make a lot of improvements to the system that we have. Uh, We just need a fresh set of eyes in there because you're right. 30 years is a long time to be in the same position, um, especially with all the changes that have happened over that time. You bring up a great point because you think about change is what's happened in 30 years. When I try to tell my kids or even my grandkids what life was like 30 years ago, they think it's stone age, okay? (laughs) They just can't even comprehend not having a phone in your hand 24-7, right? And so 30 years ago, Utah was still having uh, elections by paper ballot at that point. And at that point, you could have a lot of eyes on the process, and there was what we call a a chain of custody that could be verified. And then when things became automated and Utah decided to buy into machinery, machine counting uh, and machine voting, all of a sudden we started losing those extra set of eyes that could make sure things were happening correctly. And we also lost the chain of custody, which are two important elements to secure our vote. 
And uh, I, I mean, Sherry, I mean, she seems to be a nice lady. I've talked to Sherry, but honestly, if you just do the math, 30 years plus whatever age she was when she got elected, she's just older now. And there's just, things are just new and different and changing. And we need to have a fresh perspective, I believe, you know, in, in watching the process, especially after we've seen in the last election cycle. And in Salt Lake, there's been former complaints about the election process and irregularities in Salt Lake long before 2020. And so, um, Gaud, I was looking at your, um, your, your background and your resume here. And on your website, which is Gaud for Clerk, right? That's right. Yeah. Gaud, the number, G-O-U-D, the number four, clerk.com. Right. And it talks about how you have been working with companies and other organizations to design, implement, and track their compliance efforts efforts based on strict adherence to policies and law. And you help them develop efficient, cutting-edge, and transparent ways to ensure accountability. I think that's a really important part that we're missing here is because we've lost transparency. We've had machines that have removed those extra set of eyes that can verify what a ballot the intent of the ballot was to be. And this is what you do. This is what you've done in the past is help companies become efficient and stay transparent and comply with law. Yeah, I think that's right. So I've just so people know, I've been practicing law for about 20 years now. And um, right now I am a, the compliance and litigation attorney for a Utah based tech company and what I do there is I, I have to study and understand the different systems that we have. And we have a lot of very complicated systems. And then I have to put in place compliance programs to make sure that we follow all the applicable laws. And those systems also need to be transparent so that people who are involved in it can understand their role in it and, and be able to spot if there's problems that pop up or, or there's something that isn't right and we need to fix. So I think that experience will translate really well into being a really effective county clerk. And then I'll just add that I also have done the same type of work uh, with the Army Reserves and, the, and currently with the Utah National Guard. Uh, in, that, in those positions, I've deployed twice, and that, those are very high-intensity environments where you are expected to perform at your best and be cool under pressure while also dealing with a lot of things going on. And I think that also kind of will translate well to the clerk's office where you have an election system that only really runs at the highest rates two to three times a year when they're running elections in between while they're still doing different types of activities activities, it's not the same as when they're taking in hundreds of thousands of ballots. So I have experience kind of dealing with those high pressure environments, staying cool under pressure and making sure that you are still remaining in compliance with different laws and keeping things transparent, even in the most um, stressful environments. So Gal, do you feel like we can use machines in the voting process and still have a secure election? Uh, I think this, <laughs> I understand people's concern with this. And I think 
um, there are steps that we can take to make it so people are more comfortable with the machines until the law changes and we can, and until we, we bring more people to understand that, that I think machines, the biggest problem with the machine is that they're not auditable by normal people. And I think that's what people get out a lot is that you take, um, just as an example, you could take, uh, I think in the 2020 election, the Salt Lake County clerk had about 498,000 paper ballots. And those all had to, were scanned into a tabulator that counts those votes um, and then puts out a number of votes for each individual candidate, right? And so um, I understand why people get a little bit uncomfortable because we don't know what happened. There's no way for us to evaluate the software, but there's controls on, I think you can put in place controls that relate to the paper ballots themselves, right? So for example, if you wanted to check to see if your machines are working accurately, you could do a hand count of the paper ballots and then compare that to the results that came out of the machines. Um, And I think that's a way to kind of make people more comfortable with it and follow the laws as they currently are right now. Okay, because that's that makes sense to me. Is that you're you are able to have access to the ballots and can count them by hand? They should correspond with what the machine. Right now, they claim they're doing audits, but there's never been a forensic audit. What's the difference with forensic audit versus just an in-house audit? And and do you recommend an in-house audit? Um, okay, I'm, so first on the in-house audits. Uh, yes, I don't. Ha- I actually, I've been kind of puzzled by the controversy that, or how upset or worked up people get when you mention an audit. So I work in a private company, and we regularly do audits throughout the company every year. It's not because we think someone is malicious or doing something wrong. It's because we run complicated systems. There's always going to be human error, or and always room for improvement. And audits are how you find those, those weaknesses and you improve them over time. So as a clerk, I would want there to be audits, annual audits, or some form of audits so that we can see where the problems are and we can constantly be improving the system and making it more secure and transparent. Um, in fact, I think if you're, if you are, the, I mean, if I went to a company and they told me we don't do audits at all, and we don't want to do audits, I'd be a little bit uh, disinclined to work there because I think that is an organization that's going to have a lot of problems in the future. So um, some of the pushback that we see uh, right now from elected officials in both parties strikes me as a little bit odd. Um, I think if everything, in fact, if everything is good, you should throw your doors open and ask them, ask people to come and do an audit, right? Right. Because you want to show how, what a good job you're doing. Well, And everything you said, I I agree with, because why would you, I mean, I'm a small business owner and I mean, I'm in going through my, my books and the expenses and, and every year making sure that everything matched what income was coming in and income going out. And that has, I, I don't know of a business that doesn't do it now. The idea that government doesn't need to do it actually is really 
more alarming because if anything, they are accountable to the people and all of the, the ball, everything is really the purview of the people to be able to see and access. And if, if they're not willing to, to do that part, this makes it just, like you said, it, it allows for improvements to be made or if everything's fine, great. Then we have, confidence knowing that the systems that we have in place are working correctly right now and functioning well but in the future we don't know if that will always be the case and what i want to make sure our listeners are aware of is the only reason why we focus on 2020 okay is because those are the only ballots we have we don't have ballots from 2018 or 2016 because ballots are destroyed after they can be held up for 22 months. And so right before the next election cycle, which is in November, come September, that any data from 2020 elections will be destroyed. And so when our governor is um, trying to squelch the idea that we need an audit and saying, hey, Trump won, who cares? You don't need an audit. That has nothing to do with it. It's irrelevant because we just want to make sure the process Everything, all the votes were managed properly. Chain of custody took place. Um, what at the intent of the of the voter actually was counted the way they wanted it to be counted, and so there's no way to do it but through an audit. Yeah, I actually I think you're right, and you just hit on a really important point that it's not about Trump and it's really not about 2020 because Democrats. And Republicans throughout the years have made claims that the elections have not been fair and that there has been cheating. And the answer each time, and it gets very tribal, right? Because when, if you think back to 2000, when they did it in Florida, if you were a Republican, you would say, oh, that's ridiculous. Like, you know, and then in 2020, when the opposite side feels that way, it's the Democrats saying, oh, that's ridiculous. Shut up and stop talking. And what I'd like is, I want to be a clerk who can set up systems and, a, and better, more secure ways of collecting and counting our ballots uh, so that voters of both parties feel like they don't have to think about what I'm doing because they, they have confidence that it is being done properly. And that when they see the results, they know that just means that the best person won regardless of party. That's what that's the system we want. Your election system should just be something that you can count on. And I feel like right now there's people in both parties who are asking questions about what is going on and and the results that we're seeing at the end of it. And especially in Salt Lake County, because if you go through and look, we have a lot of races that are extremely close. Um, for example, Lori Stringham won a race by less than 1,200 votes. Uh, there were house rep- house seats, uh, state house seats that were less than 100 votes between them. You have to have a system where people can have faith that results that are that close are the correct results and that they reflect uh, the will of the people and that the person with the most legal votes. You know, that is at the very core of our liberty in this, in our, in our Republic, because we have to, um, our, we're accountable to keeping our Republic that was given to us, but the way we keep our elected officials accountable is whether we vote for them, 
You know, if we vote, well, then we're affirming that we want them to represent us. But if if that gets malaligned or is hijacked in some way or some form, then we've lost our freedom. We become another banana republic or third world country with election fraud. So um, that's a very, very important issue that must be addressed. Now, what else does a clerk do besides the election? Because, again, like you said before, the election season is just, I mean, you vote, it's like a two-week well, I guess with early voting, it might be a month process yeah. altogether. Um, and so they're in high gear for that. But during the rest of the year, what else are they? Are the functions of the clerk? Yeah, the other functions, which I think are a little bit less known and less controversial, are uh, marriage certificates um, and then also passport services. So, um, you know, and I don't, I haven't heard, and I. I'm still looking to see what proposals that we want to do to improve those two processes. Uh, to start the campaign, we are focused on improvements that we can make to the election system because I think that is the most important function that the clerk has, and that actually makes the clerk probably one of the most important local officials that we have. County, is it a clerk auditor, or are they separate? Say it again? In Salt Lake counties, I, I know some counties have clerk slash auditor that – combined but is salt lake county just strictly clerk yeah we have a separate auditor in salt lake county okay uh, i wanted our listeners to know that your website which we mentioned before goud g-o-u-d for clerk dot is it dot com yeah dot com okay it's a great website to go look at because uh there's a lot of information that we've been talking about in regards to the election, but um, he's got a lot of great information about um, aspects of how we can improve our voting process. And uh, talk about the voter rolls. I I wanted to. Um, we've had the legislative session going on here in the last. Um, well, it's still going on. It'll end tomorrow. Thank heavens, because. <laughs> The damage will stop, right? <laughs> and uh, they talk a lot about private voters, okay? And and then a withheld list besides the regular. Can you explain what that is referring to? Yeah, sure. Um, so there are three categories of voter records. The first is public records, and those are records that anybody can request a copy of for a fee. There are also private records and withheld records. Private records are those anybody can ask that their voter record be made private. And then if your record is private, it is only available to government officials and to the political parties. The general public cannot access those. And those make up about 15% of Salt Lake County's voter records. And the last category is withheld voter records. Those are records of people that are, for example, in law enforcement, uh, military. It could be people that have a protective order protecting them from like an abusive uh, spouse or a significant other. And um, they have to request to be put into that category. There's a little bit of a twist, though, to that. Um, and that 
because in 2020, the state legislature made all private records uh, that were in existence as of, I think it was June uh, 15th, 2020. They converted all of those into withheld records. So about 15% of our voter records are withheld, which means that nobody can access those except government officials. And I know there's been some controversy about this because um, some representatives and some county council members have even asked to see those records and the, the clerk has refused to turn those over. So there's an, ex- so basically like that, that 15%, nobody, nobody is really able to see except for the clerk and the Lieutenant governor's office. So we have come up with a proposal uh, to try to bring some transparency to those private and withheld records to the general public. And so what I would like to do is do an, a biannual review of those records. It will be a deep dive where we will go through and do various types of checks to make sure that the records are accurate. We'll do, we'll do random checks to make sure that the records are accurately classified. So if someone is a withheld voter, we want to go in there and see were they in existence before that date in 2020 or are they military law enforcement or some other category? So they're properly classified. And then we'll also do checks such as um, if there's a lot of people registered at one address. So maybe we'll say seven or more people registered to a, a single family home. We'll just call them up and ask if all those registered voters are still there. Um, and then for apartment buildings, we'll do the same thing and make sure that we have the unit numbers there. And then my plan is we would release a report and uh, show all of our data, you know, what we got from those different checks. We'll also uh, let people know how many voter records in those two categories, so private and withheld, were removed over the previous two-year period and how many were added. So you can see like that, yes, we are constantly updating those records. I will release that report to the public and then have a town hall where people can come and ask me questions about those records, the process that we use, what we found, suggest any improvements that they want us to make to the process, because I want, I want citizen input in this. And I'm hoping that that would make people feel more secure that those records are being kept up to date as they should be. You know, I love the idea that you threw out holding a town hall. That would be fantastic because so many of our, uh, uh, interact a lot with our legislators because they're, they're uh, making laws all the time every year. And so we, we interact on, on these particular um, people because they directly influence our lives. But a lot of times the clerk, I mean, you think about the clerk until you're realizing votes are being counted, but the idea of having them come forward, you know, to be made available to the public is a great idea. Now I'm one of those voters who signed up to be on the private list. And I did that because I found out that the government, the Lieutenant governor's office, um, well, you know what? We're, we're heading to a break, so we're going to make a quick break, and we'll be right back here on the Liberty Mom podcast.
Welcome back to the Liberty Mom Show. Chris Kimball hosting today. Liberty Moms are the real secretaries of defense when it comes to their community, their families, and most importantly, their children. And I've been talking with Gaudma Argani, who is running for the Salt Lake County Clerk's Office here in Salt Lake City, Utah. And uh, we've been talking about uh, some of his ideas on what he would like to implement to make sure that in the future, voters are feeling secure about their ballots and uh, that they're being counted the way they intend them to be counted. And we were talking about the privacy list and the withheld list. And I had put my name, I had opted out because I'd learned that the part, the state was selling the list of, if you affiliate with a party, they sell those lists, the voter lists, and it's just a matter of paying a certain amount of money. And if you've been a, a part of the Republican Party or the Democrat Party, I'm sure they do the same thing. You'll all of a sudden you'll start getting spam mail from email from all over the United States. Every person that's running for office gets, you know, pulls up these Republican mailing lists. And so I did it just because I just felt like I didn't want that being sold. The fact that I just chose to affiliate and be part of the voting process, I didn't think I should be penalized and have my data being sold by the state. And so I opted into that. And uh, I knew that that had caused some problems, but that's where some of us are coming from, is we just don't like the idea that the state sells our data. Um. I, you know, I didn't realize that, but now I'm thinking of all the emails I get from random politicians, and yeah. that makes a lot of sense. That's why. <laughs> Another kind of role of the clerk that I don't think people realize is that they are very influential on the Hill in terms of changes, you know, like talking to legislators about changes to be made to our election system to make it better. And I wonder if this is an issue to bring up, that maybe the entire voter list it they should limit how it can be used. Cause I kind of agree with you. Like if you sign up to vote and you, your data is public, you're not signing up to have a bunch of junk mail being sent to you. You're signing exactly. up. Yeah. You're just signing up so you can be a, a good citizen and participate in the process. Right. Right. So that's, that is, that's where I was coming from. Like I'm wanting to be part of the process, but yet now they're making money off of me. Yeah. I'm that list. And so, um, but I agree. I mean, you, you've got to have candidates have to have access. Of course, that has to, to happen, but to just sell them. And then, you know, you've also got organizations. I mean, they don't, you could have an organization that wants to have, you know, bad means. They, they want to attack maybe conservatives or Republicans, and then they can access your information. So it's, it, I it's really a problem and they try to brush it off and say it's more of a hindrance. Um, but it, if they would just quit selling, that would, that would stop it. I wouldn't care if I was um, in a public list then if I knew they weren't selling it to anybody that just contacted the office. Yeah. Um, okay. The other thing with, um, okay. I helped on a campaign in 2020 and up in a ledge district in Salt Lake County. And I was contacting about five, six different precincts that I lived near, and I had the voter list to do that. 
And some of these people were 112 years old and 105 and 101. And I just thought, how are these people really alive? And if they are or not, they got a ballot sent to them automatically because they're on this voter list. And it's, they claim, oh, we're really cleaning up the list all the time. But yet I saw so many elderly names that I just had a hard time believing that. Yeah, um, that is an issue that we'll, we'll have to look at more deeply because I have looked at the voter list and there, there, there is some odd data in there, but I don't know exactly what it means at this point. And just one example is um, one time when I was looking at there are birthdays in there, I think that are sometime in the 1800s. Um, and that's not because that person registered to vote in the 1800s. It's more of something. It's a, it's a function that the clerk is doing. And I know there's a, they said there's a reason for it. It's something like maybe they don't have the accurate birth date, which I guess could be a problem or other reasons. And so I, I would want if, as your clerk, I'd want to go in and understand like why there are dates that look like um, it's people that might be beyond the, typical lifespan uh, so you know like 100 and well 110 i guess some people are so maybe 120 or more then we might want to actually look at that and say well this seems a little bit odd because i don't know anyone that's lived that long you know ever <laughs> right yeah right um let's ask let's i mean now i get you're you're in a capacity of well sorry can i say one more thing on that Sure. Yeah. yeah okay. There are and there are ways to try to check that. Right. You can call the voter. You can send them a letter. Um, so there are ways to try to try to figure out if the voter record is accurate. And so if if we see that type of data, once we once I understand it better, we can reach out and try to make make the data better and fix it if there's a problem. Okay. That well, I'm glad you brought that up because Gad, you made me remember. Um, when you were talking about calling, now here's the deal. You know, if we were looking like 10 years ago or 15 years ago when everybody had landlines that were connected to a copper wire in a home, but right now, cell phones and anybody could be anywhere saying that they're at that location. So um, a lot of times, really, the only way to um, verify is to actually show up, to actually go on site to that home and talk to the people living there because anybody anywhere on a cell phone, right? Yeah, the, um, well, that's true with, with cell phones, but you could also do physical letters to the address, right, um, as another option. I don't know if there are restrictions on the ability to go and visit people's homes. And I don't know how people would feel about that too, right. To have, and I, and let's say that we, and just as an example, let's say there are, and I'm just making up a number. Let's say there's a thousand homes that we want to, we want to talk to sending County clerk employees to each of those homes would be a huge uh, lift and a burden for the organization. Right. So I think that, I would want to explore different ways we could do this. And I'd want to start with ways such as phone calls and letters. And, and then if it's possible and it's necessary, we could do a visit. But again, I'd want, 
I want to make sure the voters are comfortable with that because it could be very odd to have, I guess, me show up at your house and say, hey, I just want to make sure that all these people are registered to vote. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, the reason why I bring that up is I, I actually did, they call it canvassing to, um, to verify. And they don't do it to everyone, but when in Nevada, for example, in Clark County in 2020, they had voting irregularities with mail-in ballots. So, for example, in the primary, these particular ballots were rejected as not being um, legitimate. But then general election a couple of months later all those ballots got counted and so that kind of threw out a well wait a minute what happened here how come they were rejected and nothing was resolved with the ballot and then three months later they counted or four months later so had that list of um we had that list of irregular ballots and it was surprising. We would go to an address and the home did not exist. It was just a fake address or um, somebody had lived there, but it's been 10 years or they had, you know, they had moved away and they were now voting in another state, but we were still mailing them ballots in, in that state, you know? And so um, it was interesting how it really did take, showing up because it was just the only way to verify. And most people were fine. I mean, the ones that we caught at home, both Dems and and Republicans, uh, they were fine. We just explained what we were doing. We were just asking how their voting experience was in the last election cycle. And if um, their ballots, um, if they had voted with a mail-in ballot, and that's when we'd hear, like, nope, I didn't use my ballot. I went and voted in person. And it was like, okay, well, that's an irregularity because it's recorded that it went through the mail, you know. So we just did those sorts of things. And people were actually okay with it. But it was volunteer base. It wasn't the Clark County officials doing it because I don't think you would have the capacity. I think you'd have to um, either get a volunteer um force or, or whatever, but I could see where a lot of times it took just really going out to a physical address. Yeah. I mean, um, I understand what you're saying and I, it's an office. I think the the total staff is 28 people. So there really wouldn't be the capacity to send people out to do that. But, um, you know, and I think some of the address issues you could even do on Google Maps by looking up, let's say you had 100 people, or let's say you had some number of people registered at a building, and it seemed odd. You could look it up on Google Maps and see what's there. If it looks like it's something like an office building or an empty lot or something somewhere where people typically don't live, you could definitely then you know, start doing the research and seeing if those voter records are legitimate. That's true. We do have that kind of technology. So, <laughs> excuse me, we have we have a question on transparency. We have people that have been trying to get um, public record requests from the clerk's office, and they've been running into some major um, interference, I guess is what you would call it. What would, what would you do to handle that? Um, need for the public to be able to have access to our public records. Yeah. I, so 
Last week, I actually put out a statement about HB 96, and I don't know if um, if your audience is aware of it, but the state legislature passed a bill that would actually make it harder and more expensive for people to get grammar requests, specifically if you're making a lot of grammar requests and the government official thinks it's burdensome, they could limit how many free requests you can get to one every 10 days. Um, and the bill came about because the clerks through their association complained to the state legislature that they've been seeing a lot more grammar requests coming in and that it's burdensome. Now, when I heard that, I thought, hey, that's great. There are people that want to know more about their election system. We should be happy about that, right? Um, and I think some of their complaints were that the, the requests being put in are like are overbroad and they're hard to respond to. So, um, so I used to work for the federal government. And in one of my positions, I used to deal with FOIA appeals. And FOIA is how you get public records from federal agencies. Uh, one of the things I found in that position is that when we reached out to requesters and talked to them, a lot of times we were able to narrow their requests and we were able to kind of learn what it is that they were looking for and narrow the language of their requests and cut the cost of what they were of responding. And, and I found that when we went through that process, it also helped because the, the individual asking for the, the information they felt like they were being heard by government officials and they, they left much more satisfied. So my own view on this is that one, I think grammar requests are a positive Two, as a clerk, I would, I want my office to work with requesters, try to understand what they're seeking because I don't think everybody, you know, I'm a lawyer, so I have a little bit more experience dealing with this type of stuff. But if you're a regular citizen and you're just recently getting involved, you may make an overbroad request, but it's our job to talk to you to try to understand what exactly you need and want and to help you cater that request and get the language more narrow so that it's not going to cost you a lot of money. And I want to help you. I want my staff to help you get it so that we can get you the cheapest uh, grandma request possible and hopefully we'll get it to be free. Um, and I want that to be a collaborative process because I think at the end of the day, if it's like that, citizens will be much more satisfied and they'll feel like their clerk is being responsive and transparent. So that's how I would deal with it. Well, exactly. Because right now it's almost like it's adversarial. Like how dare you request public records? How dare you question anything that we've done in this office? And okay, so they're saying broad. And again, like you explained, it could be it's their first time and they're trying to gather information and they're not quite zeroing in. But it's a two-way thing if they just communicate and and not be so um, offensive as far as, you know, why are you asking? Because it, they should got the great attitude they should it's it's public record they should have access to it and i'm i'm sad to hear that um hb 96 passed out because oh i'm trying to think it was 2010 there was a huge firestorm in 2010 when they tried to um narrow and shut down the grandma requests and they actually had to they they kind of rushed it through the session without a lot of public input. And so there was such an outcry, but 
the media got involved because it affected the media. Now, did this particular bill address the media as well as the private person? It did. It gave an exception to the mainstream media, um, but it and it specifically for them, and it does not apply to podcasters, to people who do news on social media, to independent sites, and so it's actually kind of. I find it kind of offensive personally because, you know, I, I, I believe these documents already belong to the people. You are taxpayers. We are paying for them. So if someone wants to see them, we should be proactive in letting them see what they need to see. And we should be working with them, like I said, to, to get them the data. And honestly, on top of that, I think one thing that could be very effective is if the clerk's office posted all the grammar, the responses to grammar requests onto a website so people could search them themselves. But um, I did think HB 96's exception for the mainstream media was a little bit odd. Who was? Do you remember who the sponsor was on that bill? Um, I don't remember who the sponsor was. Okay. I'm well, sorry. listeners, if if you have a problem with that, that's one of the bills that you want to look up at le. Uh, <clears throat> HB ninety six, and you can see. Who sponsored the bill? You can also see if your representative in the House and in the Senate voted for it, because that's one of the things you want to look at is when government starts um, restricting your access to your public records, that's a red flag for sure, especially when they're willing to let the mainstream media, which we know is so full of integrity and is very honest in their reporting, You know, they get access to it and can do whatever they want, spin whatever they want. But you, the the individual, can't have access to it. So that's a that's a huge problem. It it got past this session, but, you know, it's something that can be addressed next session as well as we see that play out um, in the next, you know, 12 months. Yeah, and I think um, just on that, sorry, I, I addressed this last week and it's on my website as well. Um, but I think for voters, you want to ask people that are running for office how they will handle your grammar requests. Uh, if you want transparency, you want to elect people who will actually exercise their full discretion to give you as much information as they can and to exercise discretion to give you free to low cost grammar requests. You know, that is a great point, Gaud, because we are in the process, the election cycle, people are going to finish filing tomorrow and uh, we're going to have a a new election cycle and we need to make sure that we vote for people who are going to um, secure our rights and make public records accessible to us like that. So that's a great point. I, I want our listeners to know that you have to be really asking a lot of good questions because you're seeing where we've had our rights trampled on in the last 24 months. And you want to get people in there that are going to respect and honor those rights and follow the constitution. So, um, okay. I know we're, um, I want to make sure that our listeners know how they can, um, information about you and how they can help you. Yeah. So please uh, visit my website. Like I said, it's Goud G O U D the number four clerk.com. You can also follow me on Twitter and it's um, at Goud for clerk. Same thing uh, as my website. 
In addition, it would be great uh, if, if you are able, if you can give a small donation. We appreciate that because we are trying to get the word out to everybody in the county about our race. Um, and I would love to hear from anybody. There's a form on the website where you can uh, contact me. So please feel free to reach out. Give me any comments that you have about the about my platform, about our voting system. I want to hear it all. And I respond to all my emails personally. So you will hear from me. Uh, you actually hear from me. And so I look for, and I look forward to meeting as many of the voters as possible as we go through this uh, election cycle. All right. So Gout, I'm just now on your website again, and you've got poll watching schedules. Explain what this poll watching is. Okay. Yeah. This is a, this is again, a part of an effort to make our system more transparent I, um, I have participated in poll watching, and one of the biggest problems with it is it goes on for an extremely long amount of time. So we have, you know, the, our clerk processes ballots for about a month, and it's always unclear when they're going to be engaging in various activities. Just as an example, I poll watched the 2021 municipal elections for a day, and all of a sudden they took a dinner break, and they didn't have a they couldn't tell us when they were going to get back to processing ballots. Right. And they're like, Oh, you guys can just leave and come back, but that's not helpful if you're trying to pull watch. So what I want to do is I am going to at least two weeks before every, uh, at least two weeks before we start any ballot processing, we are going to release a schedule of when we we will be engaging in different activities. Uh, And that way voters can take time and they can, they can take time off work if they need to. They can make alternative arrangements for family activities. If you have to drive your kids somewhere, you can find someone to do it. And they can come down and they can poll watch. I believe poll watching is critical to having an election integrity because the more people that are involved, the better. The more eyes that are on what we're doing, the better. And this is the way to do that. Priest. Scheduled poll watching and more people will be able to get involved because they can plan ahead. Yeah, there's more to our election um, system than just casting that ballot. In fact, it starts next Tuesday by going to your neighborhood caucus. That would be the pre the, the start of the season of the vote is is going to your caucus. But the finish up is is being that volunteer that is willing to go down and help watch the polls and make sure that everything is happening the way it should be happening. They, you would have tra- I mean, they have training down there. I mean, you wouldn't be doing the training as much as the clerks would, or how, how does that work? Are you training them to be poll watchers? Um, typically the, I think the parties engage in training of poll watchers. Um, I mean, you know, I'd be open to doing a training session for poll for people that want to watch as a clerk, because certainly I think one thing that would be useful is if people come through and do a tour of the ballot processing facilities beforehand so that they can kind of get a sense of what types of activities we engage in and where they happen and maybe what they're interested in looking at. So um, that is something that we could definitely do. Okay. Yeah, that would be great. Well, um, I want to wish you the best. Um, You are very qualified and uh, with your background, um, uh, with your life experience, and uh, you've been involved in trying to um, muddle through some of the issues that we've had since the 2020 election process. 
And, uh, and so I just want our listeners to know that there is a choice and galforclerk.com is where you can go to learn more about Gout and his campaign. And uh, I think it's time for a change here in, in Salt Lake County. Yeah. yeah. Uh, thank you very much, Chris. Thanks for having me. And yeah, please, come, like I said, check out my website, Goud, G-O-U-D, the number four, clerk.com. All right. Great. Thank you, Goud. And we'll um, talk to you soon. Thank great. You. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. All right. That's it for the Liberty Moms this week. Thanks for listening in. <laughs>